Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. been quite the June so far for Ukraine. Six out of six points in the first international window of Rebrov's tenure as national team coach. The same can be said for Ruslan Ryotan's under-21 side, who've won their opening two matches at Euro 2023. They're through to the quarterfinals, all whilst Russia seems to be slowly breaking apart from within. Good friend of the pod, Dima Rebrov, is back after a long time away to provide some additional insight on all of today's exciting topics. Welcome to another episode of Ukraine Plus Football. Dima, it's been great, great to have you back. I can't believe the year's gone so quickly since the Yarmolenko transfer. Slightly different reasons to have a chat today. We saw you were out in Germany ahead of the friendly start of the Red Rob era. What was the mood in the camp in the warm up before the game? Yeah, hi guys, hi everyone. Uh, happy to be back here again after a year. It's been a busy year for myself um, compared to last time I was I was on here. But yeah, um, the team got to Germany on the 8th of June, the friendly was on the 12th, so they did have like quite a bit of time to prepare. I had quite a lot of training sessions at the training ground at the Bremen, uh, the Bremen training ground, which I was fortunate enough to, to go and watch. Um, and yeah, like from a personal point of view, it was great to just be a part of the whole, like the whole build up to the, to the first game, to the first few games with the Euro qualifiers. Uh, the mood in the camp. I mean, the first day, I remember everyone was was quite tired. Obviously, after the the long journey, everyone who came from Kiev, they obviously were traveling pretty much for twenty four hours almost from Kiev to Bremen with the trains and the flight that they had. But in general, it was it was very positive. I think um, it's not like I mingled that much with all the players, but kind of you know seeing everyone around in in the hotel, the players, all the staff. You know, it was a it was a good mood. Everyone was kind of excited for the for the games and yeah um from a personal point of view it was, it was great to be a part of it all and what a game it was <laughs> really was a fantastic yeah match. yeah the first like 15 minutes i think um it looked like it was going to be a pretty long afternoon but yeah one nil down i think if you would have said that you know with 10 minutes to go we'd have been three one up it, it would have been pretty hard to believe the way that you know the opening stages were going but yeah it turned out to be a great game and i think a, a good result which probably helped a little bit like mentally going into the next two qualifiers to kind of get a little bit of confidence in the result, in the performance, I think. Because with the Germany game, I think they played really well. Like after those first 15 minutes, up until the last 10, 15, um, you know, for an hour of that game, they were very good. They were playing not worse than Germany, in in my view. Andrew, you got out there not quite so early for the match, but uh, you were at the game as well. So first of all, great, great to see you again, and 
thanks for all the reports you've been doing over the last few weeks. We're all over Europe. But uh, looking at the German game, Germany game, who stood out for you in that match in particular? Yeah, hi, guys. Um, yeah, been a busy few weeks. Luckily, I had the opportunity to be in Bremen for that one. I think that probably the standout of the entire window, of course, has been Sankov. We'll come on to him sort of, I think, once we wrap up this segment, just to sort of go into that in detail. But it was great to see him playing in this sort of support striker role in a slightly different setup from what we've seen, I guess, over the past three or four Ukraine managers who have usually just played one centre forward, uh, two wingers, and then trying to create something um, from the wide men predominantly or, you know, build up from the two central midfielders. Now there's sort of an extra dynamic in there, an extra sort of support player that can, uh, I guess, peel off uh, from the sort of standard centre-forward and get into roles and positions that maybe we haven't seen uh, for a long time. And I think that was sort of well worked out and exploited in the Germany game, especially um, in particular, I think Tim Chick played pretty well. Um, he looked really good exploiting his pace down the right. I guess working with the weaknesses of Yarmolenko, who's not got enough pace anymore. So sort of overlapping him, but linking up relatively well. And that worked out fantastically against Germany. However, we'll come on to it in a minute. It didn't work out against North Macedonia because, you know, this this whole international window for the seniors anyway was just a big load of paradoxes, really. Um, I guess you could say there were a few consistencies in terms of who played really well. And then others had like like brilliant matches. And then they had like games where they were sort of not as good. And I feel that that's something that Sahir Ebrov will be able to work on the more time he has uh, in the job, because obviously he did literally arrive in it uh, a few days before he he left for for Bremen. And then he sort of had to do everything right there, work it all out. And fortunately enough, it worked. Just quickly to wrap up on the Germany thing, because obviously it was a friendly, so there's probably not too much to look into, I think, in much detail on this one, just because it wasn't overly um, competitive or anything like that. Uh, Sudokov, I think, really impressed me, and Dima spoke after the game, and he was just all over the pitch, you know, sort of picking up passes from the edge of Ukraine's own box, starting attacks, and sort of working really well from that perspective. Um and it sort of begs the question that without Zinchenko in the team or in the squad during this past month, um, and the fact that Sudakov has played relatively well over the past sort of four games that he's featured in for Ukraine seniors, um, how are we going to fit both of them in to the system? <laughs> That's going to, I guess, be a bit of a dilemma for for Ebrov to work out um, ahead of those key crucial ties uh, against England and Italy in September. Now, you mentioned there the system. Were you surprised with the system going into that game? Because sort of traditionally, there's been the extra deep midfielder in the setup. Yeah, absolutely. 
um, I, I was taken aback that there was this sort of support striker role. And I mean, in all three games, in the end, I think it ended up working out relatively well. We can move on to North Macedonia, uh, sort of in this transition, where Rebrov named a, an unchanged eleven, but it didn't quite work out. It was like a, a relatively very, very tough first half where North Macedonia just came out of the blocks. I think everyone sort of was caught off guard. Tim Chick, who played really well in the Germany game, just wasn't at the races. He was sort of being exploited all the way by uh, Alioski. Um, Yeramolenko was just unable to get a grip on the game in sort of the kind of creative passes that he he was pulling off in the Germany game. Um, and also Dovbik, who featured, who played relatively okay against Germany with an assist and um, sort of linking up well with Tankov. He just couldn't really do anything in attack. He was relatively isolated. Um, and that's when the subs in the second half of this match sort of changed the game. Right. Um, you've been keeping well over the last few weeks as well, mate. But I know you, you caught uh, the Macedonia game, uh, especially that first start. In your eyes, where did where do you think it went so wrong that they went in at the break 2-0 down? Hi guys, yeah, I'm still here. Albeit I haven't seen all the games because in Argentina it's it's hard to even find the highlights of the game because all the accounts of Megogo and all of the our beloved Sitantas and Suspilne are just not available, believe it or not. Anyway, uh, as I've been as I've been talking to you guys previously about this game, for me it's not even about how it went wrong because we've seen things going wrong for Ukraine plenty of times before, and the reason while we're here, is how Ukraine dealt with these circumstances. And they did it in magnificent style, something we've never seen before. I have to had to point that out, because uh, if you talk about uh, U21 game, uh, as we're going to touch on after that, and you take the first matches under Rebrov in this June, you could see a template, I uh, could see a new kind of like spirit, I would say, a new motivation, a new look, maybe in players' faces. I don't know. I don't want to be... Uh, old school Dynamo coach saying the guys had fire in their eyes, but of course they did not. They didn't even bother celebrating the goals. I mean, uh, they shaped up uh, after the halftime, and Rebrov obviously found the right words. And it's the new, you know, the new all the new information, all the new uh, challenge for every player when there is an update in uh, coaching staff and so on. Of course, it's all worked out, and we never lost a game in these three matches, which we could have. Let's be honest, we could have expected anything after what we saw in the last two years in the Ukrainian national team. Uh, it's a very good call. It's a very good call, of uh, first of all, of, because of the connection within the youth uh, national team and the senior. Let's call it that, because obviously the guys are interchangeable. Mudrik can go level down, play in under-21, same goes Vanat, all the other guys. It's great. And we need to keep that going. You know, this particular, you know, we're not relying on seven defensive midfielders anymore. We're not relying on counter-attacking football. We're not relying on being the underdogs all the time. We are not... And on the other hand, as well, we're not relying on our style of football, as Yurchenko used to do. Like, we're going to dictate our own terms within the game. No, we just deal with it. Just get in, get in there and get the job done. And that's what we saw. And for me, it was something... Uh, a breath of fresh air, you could say. 
So yeah, we won we won Macedonia game. It's lovely things to see. Uh, let's hope we can keep it up, and I'm pretty sure we will. Definitely so, definitely so. In Dima, no, you've been away from the pod for a year, but and uh, we've been discussing uh, the Mercurial Madrid a lot over the last year. That second half performance, it was really great to see the assists and a little bit of that Madrid magic in the Ukraine in the national team shirt. Yeah, it was. Um, I feel like he's obviously not got enough practice at Chelsea since he's moved there in January. I think we all would have liked to have seen him play a bit more than he has. Uh, difficult adaptation period for him. Hopefully he has a better second season. But yeah, that second half in Macedonia um, with his two assists, two incredible assists and different kind of assists with the first one, you know, that powerful, you know, run using his ridiculous pace to get past was it like two or three players uh, and pull across a, a good ball across the box. But the second assist, which was a, a long pass from a deep position down the left wing, you know, it, it shows that he's not just a fast player. He doesn't just rely on his speed and athleticism. He is capable of producing moments like that, good technical skills. Um, you know, I, I don't think he had like a huge impact other than those goals, but that's what he can bring to the team. He can bring a mode of magic from, from nowhere, really. I think like uh, like Andrew said, uh, I spoke to him after the Germany game. I was talking a lot about Sudakov. I think he really impressed me uh, through the three games. He started all the games for Ukraine. He had a great game yesterday for the 21s. He's kind of a player that I probably didn't keep enough of an eye on last season. He's someone that I want to kind of look at more this season because I think he could be a really, really good player. He could be a key player for the national team for, for many years to come. I'm, I think I'm a, going to be a pretty big fan of him. It's good to hear. Good to hear. A real talent there in Sudakov. He's, he's one we've been talking about a lot as well over the last few years. Um, substitutions, Andrew. Both Macedonia game, the Malta game. Is this, you know, early signs here of something extra in the national team there as well? The ability to change the game and adapt as the match goes on, as Ray alluded to there. Well, but let's let's think back to the era of Petrokov. When were substitutes made uh, <laughs> under his uh, tutelage? I guess probably or more or less all the time too late in the game to make a real impact on anything. And as we saw against North Macedonia, Rebrov was not afraid to haul off two players at half time straight away and two players that played relatively well against Germany, but he just saw that, right, this is definitely not working. Let's throw on a couple of players that themselves aren't like, I would say proven for the national team. Uh, Vanat in particular, Vanat and Konoplia coming on, Konoplia getting that equaliser from that Mudrik assist that he pulled back. Vanat then being sort of like a bundle of energy in the box, sort of really, real tenacity to try and get to the get the ball. Um he was unlucky when Tahankov, I think, went through and sort of it sort of skewed this crazy shot over slash wide when Tahankov probably could have literally cut it back slightly and allowed Vanat to tap in. Played relatively well when he started against Malta. Had a great chance or at least a couple chances in the first half there, but it just wasn't his his day you could say, in the Malta game. Um, 
elsewhere, I think I think something that is also important from these sort of three matches that I've seen is key how key the uh, set pieces are under Rebrov. Uh, it's something that you can see in the games that he's actually, his staff have been really working on. Uh, in particular, Macedonia scored from a corner. I think that was the first time Ukraine have scored from a set piece in, in a long time. Uh, against Malta, there were a couple of set pieces uh, that were sort of certainly worked on on the training pitch. Uh, sort of a quick free kick that was meant to be sort of a indirect, direct one that sort of passed out wide and then cut it across the box. Didn't work out, but sort of showing glimpses of how that works. And Zabani, again, he almost scored a carbon copy of the goal. He scored against North Macedonia against Malta, but his header went just wide. So there's things that are working there. And it seems that a lot more thought, and I guess, I don't know how you'd say it, modern thinking is being put into... um into the way that Ukraine set up and prepare for matches and how they adapt in games as well, because it's something that I guess under Petrokov in particular, less under Shevchenko, because under Shevchenko, Ukraine were able to sort of grind out the occasional 90th minute winner uh, or equaliser, as we've seen, and obviously got great results against some of the biggest uh, national teams um, in Europe. But under Petrokov, that sort of all sort of started regressing it was difficult to get back into games when when you're chasing them it was difficult to find some sort of energy or I don't know motivation to get back in it was like bloody hell this is it this is over like remember how how rough of a watch that Scotland nil a Ukraine nil match was um the last one of his era that was that was just you know hard and ironically Petrikov is currently doing really well with Armenia. Bloody went back to Cardiff, uh, won there 4-2, uh, and then beat Latvia as well. So his Armenia side's on the rise. So it's just this whole window is just a whole wild paradox, paradoxical situation, a weird alternate universe. But as I said, great stuff from Ukraine because six out of six points in the key things that matter good performance against Germany. And this Malta game, which we're going to move on to, it's a typical Ukraine sort of performance. Very difficult to play against these minnows for whatever reason. I don't know what it is. It's just some sort of, must be some sort of psychological thing <laughs> somehow. Um, unless it's San Marino, it's always going to be a bit of a rough one. And against Malta, Ukraine dominated. They dominated that whole game, but just couldn't find the back of the net. Even when the Yeravonko had a penalty early on, he bloody missed it. Like, it's as if God doesn't want him to break Shevchenko's record. Like, the match. And as far as the stats go, I think that Yanwanko's only got like a 66% or something uh, penalty success rate for Ukraine. So he's missed like at least three or four in the past. And that would, he'd already, if he'd scored those, he'd already been on the record. So, um, do you see him coming back in September? Yes, you do. Right. Well, I do. I think that for the time being, he's the probably the most senior player in the team in terms of his authority, leadership skills. Um, he's someone that is needed. And as we saw against Germany, he still has got it in him. It's just maybe not there every game. 
maybe he needs to really, I don't know, get back into some sort of proper consistent form. We saw that he was playing relatively not too bad in Alain um, in the season that he was there. He's now left. Then now there's unabounding sort of non-stop rumours that he's coming back to Dynamo Kiev. Maybe that will give him sort of a second spruce of life like it did Shevchenko um, mm-hmm. when he sort of came for the twilight years of his career. I mean, I feel that I know a lot of people and a lot of people that will be listening will want Yamo to like retire or uh, from the national team anyway. And they don't want to see him near there. But uh, for every reason, I feel that if you can't make it to the Euros next year, he will be part of that squad. Got to go around the room there, gents. Ray, Yarmolenko back in September? Yeah, why not? We love... Why not? We love this. We love the story of a good comeback. I'd be tired to talk about um, on that topic, to be honest, because I mean, yes, the guy pulls it out of himself. I don't know how. I mean, maybe it's the magic of uh, the you know the Ukrainian veterans when Yushchenko scored these two goals against Sweden. Now Yermolenko keeps showing off all these back heels out of nowhere, like one touch, which can be decisive any time in the game. It's a miracle, if you ask me. Um, even the Arabian Arabian son didn't actually uh, took away his skill, right? So he might be useful to Dynamo, but I mean, we all know what it can be. It would get what it can end up into. Remember, Shevchenko came back and he was the second coach in the dressing room, and we know that Jeremelenko is already the second coach. Well, I don't know about about now. Maybe he's actually a captain now, but. As we spoke about Petrokov before, he was the coach in the dressing room. I honestly don't want that to happen to Dynamo. Maybe if we went Dynamo facing Obol and UPL, it would be a great advantage for the North Kiev team. But <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, it's it, it never helps the team. It never helps the young players. It never helps anything. And as if Dynamo doesn't need any help anymore, <laughs> I just need I just want Yermolenko to come back and mm-hmm. and feel like he's welcome. And also, uh, finishing off the topic about previous Ukrainian coaches, I mean, yes, Petrokov did get his revenge on Wales, which I'm really happy about. And hey, the guy is a world champion. I've, whilst we're talking about those former managers, I do remember Sudakov stood on the side of the pitch in one game, right at the very end, trying to come on as a sub. But the coach at that time, Andrew, left the sub so late that the full-time whistle went. So... Uh, we're not going to see that anytime soon. Definitely so. Um, moving on, though, Dima, got to ask you, Sagankov, man of the window? Yeah, I think in terms of productivity, in terms of you know his goals bringing um, to the national mm-hmm. team, I think, yeah, he has to be the man of the window. I think there's, like I said, Sudakov, I think Sabarni may be gone a little bit under the radar. I thought he was very good as well. Um, yeah, Sagankov... I mean, like, we obviously started on fire um, since he moved to Girona. In terms of productivity of goals and assists, he kind of dropped off a little bit towards the end of the season. But I think that that move's kind of done wonders for him to go and play in La Liga, to go play in, in a top-level league. OK, he had Champions League experience playing at Dynamo Kiev, Europa League experience, playing against Shakhtar in the league. But in La Liga, where you play again, you play those level games every week. I feel that that's been a huge benefit to him. And um, yeah, for me, man of the window, I think there's there's a few players that, like I said, Sudakov Zabani, you could make a case for as well. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's great to see him doing so well. I think in terms of the September games, it is going to be interesting to see if they use the same system. Um, you know, having four attacking players like Mudrik, Tsigankov, Yarmolenko, Dovbik, I'm not 100% sure that we're going to see that again in September, to be honest. It would be very brave. It would be very brave indeed. Um, last thing about that Malta game, though. What about Boyelski coming off the bench? What an impact he had in that final part of the match. Yeah, yeah, it was great to see. I mean, I, like, I watched him play for Dynamo Kiev. I think I always watch him play. I think he's a great player. It's a bit surprising that he's not been a part of the national team like at all in the last few seasons. And even now, in this window, um, I think the Malta game, did he come on as a sub against Germany? I can't remember if, if he did or not. But the point is, he has he didn't start any games. He hasn't got too many minutes, uh, which to me is quite surprising. Like I see him as quite a dynamic player. He can have an impact in the attacking third. Um, so yeah, it was great to see him make a really good impact against Malta. I think he's a player. We've got we've got midfield options like in his position. Guys like Malinowski, Sudakov obviously played a little bit deeper this um, in June, but he can play more advanced as well. We've got guys who can play those positions, Shaparenko as well. But look, I think Boyarski, if he keeps playing well, I think he had a really good season at Dynamo Kiev last season. If he keeps playing well, if he keeps that up next season, I think, again, he'll he'll be a part of the Ukraine squad and he can also have an impact in in the future games. I was say, talking, talking about Sudakov, played deeper in midfield for the national team, then gets whisked off to uh, Romania. And has been popping up on the left side of midfield over there just a few days later, hasn't he? He's like Mr. Adaptable. He can play anywhere across the pitch. Um, Andrew, obviously, you're out there at the moment. Uh, how's the squad been looking? And were you surprised, like everyone else, that Trubin and Sudakov played that first match so soon after the Malta game? Yeah, to be honest, I was. Because I read a lot about this FIFA... UEFA ruling that apparently you're not allowed to play within 48 hours of your last match. For example, if you play for a, a national team or or something like that. Uh, Roslan Nortan was asked about this in a press conference by the Romanian journalists. They were very, very interested about it. I think they were trying to get any kind of uh, one-upmanship or trying to get one-upmanship because their national team was under 21 side pretty, pretty poor. Um in both of the matches that they've played so far, and they're already out of the tournament. But Rosan Rotan, his response was that essentially Uaf spoke to UEFA slash FIFA about it, whether it was allowed, and basically UEFA FIFA referred Uaf to the clubs. So in this respect, to Shakhtar, they uh, were meant to give permission because I, I I assume this wasn't explicitly mentioned, but I assume it's probably to do with like insurance and and that kind of stuff. Because obviously, if they get injured after playing two games in forty eight hours, then that <laughs> that's not going to work out too well for for the club sides. But apparently, they okayed it. Trubin, I mean, he's a goalkeeper. I feel that if anyone's going to be able to play two games in forty eight hours, it'll probably be a goalkeeper more than anyone else. He played the full 90 minutes. Sudakov, I think, only came on for the final 10 minutes against Croatia. So it was like a little bit of a run out 
sort of prepare him, I guess, more for for the win against Romania as well, which he started in. And like you mentioned, Adam, he played on the left, but, or he started there, but he was actually slightly more, I guess, interchanging with himself and Kriskiv, who was playing slightly more centrally, and then they were sort of interchanging. And what helps a lot, I mean, for Ruslan Rotan's under-21 side, is that these attacking players in particular, uh, they know each other very well from club side. Uh, obviously, Shakhtar have been playing relatively solidly uh, the whole season. Got some good football going on there in terms of combination football. Sudakov, Bondarenko, Kriskiv, they've all got this sort of telepathy between one another so that they can do these sort of quick one-twos, uh, triangle passes and all that kind of stuff so that they can um, sort of know where the next person's going to be running onto. And then the rest of the team sort of complements that too in terms of solidity uh, and stability. Um, in particular, Brashko, who we've been seeing for Zorya, one of the best players in the UPL last season, who's going back to Dynamo Kiev for the 23-24 season, who is um, seen as, I guess, the future Sidorchuk um, or the, his future replacement. And in my opinion, I think that he's probably got all the qualities, if worked on, to become the new Stepanenko um, for the national team at the very least. But I think that you made a comment when I made that point on Twitter the other day, Adam, um, about a little bit more. Yeah, just watch it, watching the Romania game. You could see a couple of errors in his in his uh, performance. His positioning in particular seemed a little lack at times. I think I saw one of the chances Romania had in the second half, he hadn't tracked his man. He hadn't tracked the runner back into the box. And it's things like that. When you watch Stepanenko play, he has this ability to be sort of the third central defender at times and at other times step up into the midfield. And still to see it in Braska that he's definitely going to be a good defensive midfielder. But if he's got the ability to sort of plug that gap between defence and midfield, which we know for the national team, for the seniors, as Demas mentioned there earlier, games against England and Italy coming up, you're going to be relying on that deep defensive midfielder to provide the extra support for both the midfield and the defensive lines. He's going to have to do a lot of developing in that area. And personally, yeah, it'd be great to see him at the Nama and become a success there. But as we've seen and as we've spoken about Mr. Sagankov, uh, a move to Europe may do him the world of good in his development and... Perhaps perhaps this tournament could be a springboard for something else going into it and putting the national team first that would probably be for, for, for the benefit, I would say. Elsewhere, and that he had an interest he's had an interesting couple of weeks, hasn't he? Especially uh, in the in the Romania game. Was have you ever seen a more impactful five minutes of football there, guys? Yeah, I think it was yeah, it was quite an impact he had to not score the goal but play a huge part in that goal, obviously, so kind of force the own goal to get the winner. And then a very silly red card to get sent off and now he misses the the Spain game. Um but I look I like 
a striker like that with a competitive streak. I think he's had some incidents in, in Ukraine as well where he's kind of proven that in the Malta game when he crashed into the goalkeeper, you know, pretty bad injury for the goalkeeper as well. Um, but I like his kind of competitiveness. I like his, at times, over-aggressiveness. Of course, uh, in the incident where he got the red card, that's where it can prove to be a big minus, you know, especially in an important situation. You know, Romania go and uh, get an equaliser playing against 10 men, then he gets crucified for, for what he's done with a red card. But in general, he's like, you can compare it like a striker to a striker like Diego Costa, right, with his competitive streak. You know, I think it's a huge benefit to him and it's helped him be the successful centre forward that, that he has been. I don't think Vanat is quite at that level of competitiveness and aggressiveness. But personally, I think in the future, it's something that I, I want to see kind of stay with him rather than him turn into a kind of more reserved, more kind of calm player. The Sedin-esque, shall we say. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that led me to the thoughts whether Yarmolenko's arrival would put him into place and become a reserved guy, or actually the absence of Yarmolenko would help him to prosper, which probably happened to Rusin at some point in Dinam, because Rusin was kind of aggressive back in his youth days as well. So far, we could tell that Vanat has all these Paulo Di Canio potential. <laughs> Oh, guys, Andrew, uh, obviously you're out there. You've been in the stadium for the two matches so far. Who else has caught your eye? So I think it's important to note that Mudrik has so far been injured. So obviously he missed that Malta game due to a calf injury, not featured in either of the two games so far. But regardless, without him anyway, they've got two wins. So it's not been detrimental of a loss, but... Once he returns, I think it will be very much a positive um, addition to the squad for certain. In his absence, though, Braharu, who came on as a sub in that Romania game, impressed me, looked really good. And he's pretty capable defensively as well, because I think he's more used as a sort of a wing back um, at Trodden Moritz. So he's someone that I think, you know, looks like he could turn into some player uh, if he moves to maybe a slightly bigger side in the future. Elsewhere, Bondarenko already mentioned, captain of the team, playing really well. Uh, I'm sure that lots of scouts will be keeping an eye on him from his perspective. Just that tandem that he's got with Sudakov working really well there. Kalovyarov, I think he's probably the standout in defence so far. Really, my personal, sort of... my personal favorite. Sorry, <laughs> really commanding, bloody sort of bleach blonde, massive sort of ponytail kind of uh, man bun style. You can't miss him, can you? No, and the kind of thing that you might not be able to see on TV when you're watching these games is just the amount of passion that he puts into things. Like when he makes a clearance or something, he's just like screaming and celebrating, especially against Croatia. It was like, like come on, like you know, like real sort of emphasis on how important every sort of passage of play is um, in the grand scheme of things. And on the day we're recording this, uh, Sport UA uh, sources are saying that apparently Bundesliga sides are looking at him and want to sort of potentially take him in on loan. Because obviously last season he played at Lask in the Austrian Bundesliga. 
impressed there, according to a number of different reports. Um, we'll probably be returning to Slavia Prague, who are his parent club. And the two clubs that have been named, per se, uh, Werder Bremen and Eintracht Frankfurt, are sort of interested in him. So that will be interesting to take a look further on. But so far, he's not put a foot wrong. Uh, he's got a centre-back partner of um, Batakhov, who's slightly more, I guess, I don't know, I'd say a bit more of a liability from a defensive perspective, because I feel that Batakhov in the past, he was like a defensive midfielder, that kind of thing. Um, so he's very much the rock back there. And, you know, he's been he's not been put a foot wrong thus far, touch wood. Uh, elsewhere, alongside him is uh, our good friend Sitch, from obviously used to play for Dork, now at Courtrike, had a quite a bad injury for the second half of this campaign, which put him out for most of it. Didn't have much uh, first-team football coming into this tournament. I spoke to him um, in the mix zone after the game against Romania, and he said, yeah, he's not really had much time uh, ahead of preparation for, for this tournament, but it's really good to see him, especially in the second half, being involved in so many attacks from right back, literally just running in uh, on the overlap, uh, putting in loads and loads and loads of balls into the box that someone at the likes of Sakan uh, or Vanat should have been sort of sweeping up. Like I think Sakan got one that was literally just should have tapped it in, hit the crossbar, <laughs> went over, you know, <laughs> not Sakan's not day, sadly. And, and finally, of course, I think probably the man that's sort of been I don't know, maybe the biggest surprise for people that haven't really been following him at, at all this season is uh, Oleksii Kashuk. Mm -hmm. He was a bit part player during the under-20 Euro, uh, the under-20 World Cup win in 2019, doing brilliantly in Azerbaijan. He's been at FC Sabah, I think on loan. He's got 16 goals and 10 assists or something like that. And if you think about it, Shakhtar really are lacking a sort of a consistent right winger because we saw that Marian Schred out for most of the season with these unknown injuries in and out, sort of comes back for two games and then he's out again and all that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And he looks really good. He just needs to work a bit on his finishing because he had three great chances against Romania in particular and should have put at least one of them away. But I mean, I'm really impressed by him. Got great pace, really good dribbling, like really good um, close ball control. And someone that I think that Shakhtar should be recalling and and starting in their Champions League campaign from next season. And um, we're about to move on to this in a minute, but um, potentially his his future manager at Shakhtar was watching on from the stands. Definitely. So um, before we move on to that, Andrew, can you just, for people who aren't quite as familiar with the format, what do Ukraine actually have to do to qualify for the Olympics? Because this is the FIDA tournament for the Olympics, isn't it? Absolutely. So Ukraine have made it into the quarterfinals, regardless of anything. Um, at the point of recording, there's still a chance that they could finish top or second in the group. That all depends on whether they beat Spain or not. So if they beat Spain, they finish top. If they don't beat Spain, they finish second. And what happens is after that, then they go on to play the uh, winners or runners-up of Group D, which includes France, uh, Italy and Switzerland. And one other side that I can't remember, but I don't think that they've got two good chances of making it out. 
so what happens is in the quarterfinals, um, Ukraine play whoever, and if they make it to the uh, semis, then there is an extremely high chance that they will be in the Olympics. Because what happens is three sides from this tournament, the three top sides in this tournament, in terms of top three finish, qualify for the Olympic Games. If France make it to the semis, they are hosts of next year's Olympics, so they qualify automatically. So if France makes it to the semis, all three other teams in the semifinals will make it. If France don't make it, then there might be a third-place playoff to work out which third side will make it. However, if France and England make it to the semis of this tournament, because England don't have uh, an Olympic football team, because Team GB don't do that unless it's like a you know 2012, um, then it means that there will be a fifth-place playoff i don't 100 percent know how that's worked out but what it what it what it's going to ensue is that i think four of those losers in the quarterfinals um will potentially have to play each other um to sort out who is that fourth qualifier or third <laughs> qualifier per se it's a long way to go <laughs> definitely at the in a very short be... space of time yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there's, yeah, I mean, it's, I see it's, it's an added narrative to the tournament to, to keep us engrossed. And yeah, as you say, the uh, Shakhtar's potential next manager rocking up at the tournament as well. Certainly caught some eyes as Zoria were back in pre season. I'm a little lost with this story. So can you ex sort of explain what's where we are with it? Well, I mean, there's not so much information on it at the, at the time of recording uh as far as rumors and everything else that is concerned Ihori Vitrovic has been let go after this season uh the reasonings I don't think are 100% known for whatever purpose that is officially yet to be announced by Shakhtar but it's meant rumors coming out of the likes of Tato Care and others say that Patrick van Leeuwen is the favourite to replace him and he is going to be announced, or the new Shakhtar manager, whoever it will be, will be announced at the start of July. So I guess we're going to have to wait and see. And like I mentioned, Patrick van Leeuwen was at the under-21 game against Romania, watching obviously former player, uh, former Zoria player, uh, Brasco, um, some of his new potential Shakhtar players, Kashuk and and all the rest. And it's worth noting that Zoria Luhansk have already returned to pre-season and Van is not there. <laughs> so I feel that that kind of might be a one plus one equals two scenario. So we'll have to wait and see. There have been rumours that potentially uh, Shriktar might be after some sort of other foreign manager. But, you know, based on who would actually want to come to Ukraine that doesn't have like a connection to Ukraine... Previously, like Van Leeuwen, like Jovicovic, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I kind of have my doubts. Dima, Mr. Dovbik, he signed a new contract. Well, I have to ask you, you, have you heard any transfer rumours about him? Where's, is he likely to go this summer or are we expecting him to be joining Bate Dnipro, Dnipro 1 for pre-season? Well, there was uh, rumours the other day, wasn't it, about Lazio, I think it was. But I don't know, it's, it's a 
it's a difficult one. I don't have any insider information about uh, whether he'll be moving this summer or, or staying. Personally, I think he's good enough to to go and play in a top level league. I think he's um he's he's been very good uh, in Ukraine. Maybe he's outgrown the level of the Ukrainian league now. Top scorer last season. I think if he was to go to Lazio, maybe 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 even a slight slightly lower team in Italy or you know any other of the top leagues. Um, I think he'd be he'd be a pretty good fit. You know, as kind of a a target man kind of forward. He's dynamic. He's quick. Uh, he's a good finisher. You know that Germany game. I think he played very, very well, and like throughout, there'd be a, an outlet for for long passes to bring his teammates into the game. A lesser an impact against uh, Macedonia, but you know, it is what it is. I think he's ready for a move away from Dnipro. If he's if he's to stay in Dnipro, I think that's not an issue. To be honest, I think he's still got time on his side. He's still a fairly young player. He's you know he doesn't need to rush a move. He can wait for the right opportunity to come. Uh, to him, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to see, to see. No, no doubt there's going to be a lot more in the way of rumours as the summer progresses. There, Andrew Dnipro let let go a lot of other players though in the meantime already, haven't they? Yeah, they've um, let go of a fair amount of of talent. Um, I think Valeriy Luchkevich, who's been there for a while, his contract expired. Peglo. Obviously, Mr. Problem play, player who's uh, had an altercation with Ruslan Rotan last season uh, in the dugout. And then obviously in that massive uh, ruckus between Shakhtar at the end of the season as well. So I think, you know, he was on loan for Dnipro 1. Dnipro 1 just cut their losses and were like, there's literally, <laughs> we don't need the, the rest of this. Uh, Matarita, he's already gone. He's joined Aris Thessaloniki in Greece. Um, and I feel that there might be a few more um, on the exit before the end of the summer as well. Because as far as rumours are concerned, Dnipro 1, they're saying that sort of have money. You've got to sort of make it on, on your own accord. So that's why I feel that adding on to what Dima says, that Dovbik might have to be sold maybe towards the end of the campaign once they know exactly where they are in Europe to try and fund some transfers for the season because it looks like it could be a bit of a difficult one, especially when you look at what's happening with uh, Metalist. Obviously, Metalist were relegated. They were unnamed feeder club of, of Dnipro 1, where a lot of players were on loan from vice versa. And now it might be slightly more difficult to sort of hold up that squad. going to be interesting times ahead. Ray, I know you've been very excited about the Veres story. It's had a lot of twists and turns over the last few months, but it seems to be coming to some solid conclusions and a new era in Rivna. Yeah, you could say twists and turns of the knife in the uh, head coach's back, who, who was Yuri Vert. Yes, apart from the announcement, the new school announcement, I would call it, from his wife on Facebook that they are leaving the club before the official announcement before the match, the playoff matches in the league, the, the information was there and it was a big issue in the last and, and apparently the final one, uh, the fi the decisive episode of uh, Footballist, Footballist uh, series on YouTube by Mr. Povroznyuk. Three seasons, there were 41 episodes. Now it's over now. 
we don't know what the guy will be up to. Maybe he will be traveling around all these new Druha Liha clubs next season. I would love him to come back to these roots when he used to go to uh, Lipova Dolina, um, Munkac, uh, all these, you know, the clubs, which we would never fi- have found out unless it was for him. It was way before we made our own trip in 2021. That, that, those were good times. But let's see. Uh, coming back to Veres, it is a new era. It's a new coach, Lovrinenko, the Hinduled superstar from Kropivnitsky. Um, I don't know what to, I don't have much to say about that. There are there have been some uh, implications that uh, Chablis is involved in the club, that Shevchuk position in the club is questionable. The board of directors in Veres, those five men out there, I mean, they're all locals, right? They are head of uh, their businesses in the Oblast and whatever. They don't, they are not bookmakers. <laughs> That's a big relief for me. Oh, even though the main sponsor of Paris is VBAT, but uh, I wish all the best to that team. It's a shame that they would not be covered as much as they used to be. But of course, it's a, you could tell that although it was revolutionary for Ukrainian football, such format, it was not grateful. It didn't didn't have the feedback it deserved. It did, did not have. I mean, we have Rex, we have Rexham, and we have all these Amazon flicks and Netflix, Angel until I die stuff. And Veres, I mean, one guy basically did it all. I mean, some of that was of, of course cheesy. Like you could tell that it was kind of played out. You, like Ver, you Veres saying this and that, and you know, show off in the camera. Um, they gotta be carried away with that. Let's face it, the managers and their president, Ivan Nadein, he's, he launched his own channel with Poversnyuk Help. And it kind of got like, carried away the focus from the club and it didn't help the dressing room either. Uh, I, I suppose that when the rumor to stop Markevich to go there, uh, they mentioned the cleanup of the squad. I think it's needed, even though the coach is gone with all his, you know... Uh, starting lineup on the pa- on the sheet of paper with all these lines through all over. This is like, I mean, he could he might as well have used chalkboards for all we know. Um, yeah, let's hope they make the right choices from now on without the help of social media and without the help of um, you know this uh, glamorous extravaganza. I just want to add there. I feel that it, it probably all ran its course. Uh, like football is the series because there's only so much that you can do that makes it interesting and everything. And it, I think it worked out well that Povaroznyuk made his debut in that final game and it sort of made it a close to the chapter because I guess if you want to put it into perspective of like those Rex, Welcome to Wrexham shows, All or Nothing, like they do in the Premier League, there's a bit of jeopardy always involved. Um, but it's also a lot to do with a lot more popular clubs I would say um, because there's a lot of like popular personalities and all that kind of thing and because of sort of that extra added pressure um, it sort of makes it a bit more entertaining whereas Veres as great a club that they are maybe it was getting slightly stale if that makes sense but you know all the best to them in the new season uh, alongside LNZ who obviously Mm -hmm. stayed up who came up for the first time ever um, into the Premier League. And we said goodbye to Ingolet, S- sadly. So. They, they are going to be missed, but let's hope they come back next season. Yeah, Andrew, you touched on the Proverbs New debut in the last game. Yeah, that was a real dream. I mean, I imagined that. I imagined myself out there. And I, I honestly, I got a bit teary-eyed when I saw that, even though I said it's cheesy, but 
yeah, thanks for that. I mean, thanks, Dimitropovoroznyuk, our friend of the pod, for all these three seasons. That was magnificent. Uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, obviously, there is staying up at LNZ have come up, joining Obelon, right? Uh, looking forward to their return to the UPL and police. Yeah, unfortunately, I won't be able. I won't be able to be featured in their squad for next season. I'm sorry, guys. Sorry. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? You're gonna have a Obelon fan club set up in Argentina before we know it. Uh, Policia have made some very strong early moves in the transfer market, though, haven't they, Andrew? They're adding a load more UPL experience to their squad. Um. Literally every day they're coming up with <laughs> with someone else. Well, is someone else to add? Most recently, Miketa Kravchenko, who was on loan um, at Kolos, he's gone on loan from Dynamo Kiev to um, Polisia. Uh, as far as like the latest rumors are, or I think it should be confirmed possibly by the time they're listening to this. Uh, Emil Mustafaev, who impressed for Alexandria in the second half of the campaign. He left as a free agent from Alexandria this week or last week, and he's going to be joining FC Policia. Shabanov is back. Uh, never got that move to Kerala Blasters, but he is back at um, <laughs> he's back in the UPL after some time in Hungary. And obviously, you know, if it, there's there's plenty more. We've had loads of rumors, you know, like. Uh, uh, well, Trobotenko, um, Dennis Boyko being rumoured. Was that confirmed? Um, you know, I lose track of how much stuff there is. And even like Karavayev was being linked with them. So, you know, I'm sure that they will have enough in there to probably start challenging, you know, for those top five spots straight away um, in, in the UPL. And um Fair play to them. It should be an interesting season ahead. But we will obviously be touching on all of that in some future episodes. Definitely so. Before we move on though, Andrew, uh, Carpati looking like potential next season's Policia uh, with some of their early moves. Would you agree? Yes, obviously. I think, well, I don't know if we mentioned in the last episode, but Miron Markevich is now officially the Carpati manager. Um, he's back in football after what a hiatus of how many years is it? Six <laughs> away from football. Will he be able to have the same impact as he did, you know, at Dnipro, at Metalist, etc.? Fingers crossed. Uh, a lot of players offloaded from Karpate, like the Kogut brothers, um, Plumak Sun has left, um, a few others, and coming in. I don't think this has actually been officially announced yet for whatever reason, but I think there's about six or seven players from Metalist <laughs> coming in to um, Karapate, like some of the, some of the bigger sort of decent players. Um, like such, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's a fair few. They're taking a couple of players, I think from Kremin, um, Kremin Chuk, who who impressed there. So I think that, Overall, by the time that the season starts, Petraliha, that is, who Ray is going to touch on in a minute alongside Druka, just to tell us some, who the new boys are, um, that it should be relatively plain sailing for them. Albeit, our good friend Phil Howden has um, 
has got his hopes set on Niva Buzova to do a back-to-back -back promotion. So let's see how they do with, I guess, slightly less of a budget. Definitely so. Yeah, we're seeing a, an, an expanded Persia Liga next year and a expanded Drupa Liga next year as well, aren't we, Ray? New teams in both divisions and some good buys as well. Uh, some teams won't be missed. Some teams will be missed. Yeah, it's, a, it's crazy. It's a big thing, actually. I mean, we should devote more time to that uh, in future before, uh, because I have to tell you guys, uh, before you know it, you have to subscribe, you have to follow, start following these teams. Because, I mean, uh, for me, it's a miracle that some of the teams are gone and some of the teams have actually reappeared or popped up out of nowhere. You know, some teams used to be academies, like Lokomotiv Kiev. Of all people, like, it's a legendary team in youth football in, in Kiev. It's like it is, you know, local team based near the railway station with their own stadium and it's always been like in an academy only and now they have their professional team in through a liga and that's unbelievable that's a, this is a milestone in Kiev football history and above uh, above all else they're called locomotive which is um i mean there are some teams in the world which are called like that and they're not in Ukraine, and they were not famous in Ukraine, and they never will be. But that will be fun. Um, some teams which are going to be missed is probably Volin because they were actually out of the BFL squad. Like they are not a member of the professional football league in Ukraine anymore. Volin of all clubs. Well, let's let's put that aside. I mean, it's done. There's nothing we can do about it. Uh, a few teams just uh, postponed their membership in BFL. Uh, Kramatorsk, FC Uzhgorod, which was quite promising a couple of years back. Um, Skoruk and VPK Agro, uh, who infamously changed all the seats at Meteor Stadium two years ago to their own name, and they're just gone by now. Um, also, FC Nikopol, who has a lovely branding, is not worth anything anymore because they are out of PFL as well. And a few, quite a few teams are gone from are post, have postponed their membership in PFL in Druha Liga, such as uh, Lubomir, Balkane, Adam's favorite, uh, Munkac, <laughs> infamous Hungarian club academy, not in the PFL for now, Crystal Herson, for all the sad reasons, Energia Novakovka and Tamara Simferopol, right, the first champion of independent Ukraine. And coming back to the alive and kicking teams next season in Persia and Druha, agrobusiness is coming back to Persia. Niva Buzova has promoted. Apodile Khmelnytsky is coming back. Hust promoted from Druha Liga. That's Group A. Group B would include Victoria from Sumy, the very ambitious and very mm -hmm. potentially uh, the host of Yuvelani Stadium in Sumy, the famous stadium which is not belonging to any teams right now, Victoria will ho hopefully will fill in this gap. Also, um, Henrik Sport, still in Prashaliha, has got a new manager, Valery Kutsenko, a former Obolon legend of all clubs. He's now in Henrik Sport. Uh, Dinas Vizhgorod recently obtained a new sponsor, Tsar Khliv, which is a bread company, like the the shops around Kiev, I still remember them. They sell all these, you know, bakery stuff. Quite interesting thing to watch. Um, Mariupol staying in Persia Liga for one more season. Classic Ukrainian football right there. Uh, Poltava, Livebere, the Trojan horse of Ukrainian football, is coming back, is rushing upwards 
with all their preparations on the left bank of Ukraine, not only Kiev. They're based in Kiev, but we know that if you are called Libé Beret, then you're potentially going to gather the audience from all the left bank of Ukraine, right? <laughs> they have this lovely stadium, lovely academy. Uh, they might need to solve some logistics issues, but we're talking capital here, guys. I mean, as I mentioned before, Lokomotiv Kiev is coming back to Druva Liga, so we have plenty of action. Apart from all the other clubs just using Olympijski all the time to play their matches at Genama Stadium or Obolin Arena, I don't know. For all the sad reasons, again, but, I mean, that's going to be fun. Druha Liga, again, a couple of uh, second teams, like Kremlin 2 and Metalurk 2 are still there, whatever. Uh, Lokomotiv Kiev, again, I have to I have to be loud about that. Watch this team, guys. I mean, this is this is quite a perspective there. And um, one of the teams which caught my eye is Scala 1911. Scala has this logo, which you might see one time and you would not forget it. For I, I'm not going to say what it might remind you of, but this is like a bold statement of a logo, okay? And it, this club is apparently the first professional club in Ukraine. Their hashtag, Naipershevistori, means the first in history of Ukrainian football because they were based in 1911 in Stry, the, uh, um, the city where Stepan Bandera was born. <laughs> okay, I'm done with references anymore. I, I have to tell you, I'm, I mean, I've been selling you and I will be selling you this product of Druha and Persia of Ukrainian football because this is quite a spectacle and it has much more uh, in it than... UPL for me and all the other guys who've been ground hopping, who've been uh, just like Phil Howden, who you mentioned. I mean, these guys are here for that. And we'll be promoting that further on. I will be. I don't know about you guys. We can't wait. Can't wait. There's some great, great teams that have come back to professional football. Some great teams that have renewed their licenses after taking the one year out. I think uh, Volochysk Kuminski are back after 12 months out. Great to see clubs like that back in professional football and they were sorely missed. Uh, sadly, of course, Skorup Tomakivka have uh, withdrew their, their license after the despicable acts of a few weeks ago, making the region uh, have much more serious concerns for the forthcoming future. Well, it's been a long one tonight, gents. Well, it's been a good one. We've had a, a lot of fun. It's been nice to talk about positive things from the national team, the U21s. And we've still got a few more weeks of U21 football ahead. So it's uh, going to be a busy time. Fingers crossed. As uh, Dima, it's been great to, great to have you back. What are you going to be up to over this summer? Yeah, just working. Um to be honest, looking forward to the new season. Of course, once it comes around, hopefully be going to quite a few games following our English boys here, Bournemouth, Zabarni, Mikolenka, Everton. And um, yeah, just uh, looking forward to international games in September. Uh, should be going to the England game, to the Italy game as well, uh, to see how the lads get on. But yeah, looking forward to, to the new season. Well, it's been great to have you back, and we've really enjoyed your your insight. Yeah, pleasure, this pleasure to be here as well, guys. Of course, Ray, Andrew, it's been great as always, guys. Uh, hope you keep well over the next few weeks. We'll be back 
sometime over the summer. As always with Ukrainian football, it never stops. The, the matches on the pitch may have, but there's always some news to discuss. Until the next time we're here discussing it, take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now. Oh,